You are listening to the Techie Leadership Show with Bogdan and Andrei. Hello and welcome to the Techie Leadership Show. Today with me I have Carl Merka. He's head of data science and analytics, so he knows a lot about how to manage really technical people. He doesn't get more technical than data science. And he's also the co-founder of Secured Badger. Hi, Carl. How are you? Hi, Andre. I'm uh, I'm good. How are you? And uh, thank you for having me. Same. It's a pleasure having you. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Well, I was born in Tallinn, Estonia. At the same year, the Berlin Wall fell and Ceausescu was deposed in Romania. Ah, born My, the democracy in the East. Yeah, quite turbulent times. Uh, back then it was still at the Soviet Union. <laughs> my uh, my from educational background uh, is actually in bio- bioinformatics um, and biological sciences. Cool. Uh, yeah, I worked at a pharmaceutical company in the US near the city of Boston. But uh, in 2016, uh, I guess I got fed up with the uh, with biological sciences or science, maybe science overall, it's um, science is a very slow process. If you yes. if you want to see results quickly, then uh, science is not for you. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what I discovered about myself. So in 2016, I returned to Estonia and uh, I started working at an international lending company as the head of data science, um, uh, the name of the lending company is Credit Star. I know they were active in Romania as well uh, before I joined, but uh, they closed down the business there. Oh, okay. Oh, I haven't heard about Credit Star. Yeah, they, was, they were there only for a few years. Didn't didn't work out. Uh, currently. Um, I'm, uh, I work at an international uh, credit bureau services provider, Credit Info, as you mentioned in the introduction. And uh, aside from that, again, as you mentioned, uh, I'm also a co-founder in a startup. We're actually three, three co-founders. Okay. And, uh, we're providing um, a unique uh, financial product rental contract factoring Ooh. and we're, we're almost uh, at the end of our first investment round so hopefully well, probably at the end of this year in the fall this year i won't be working for anyone else for a while so just no nine to five yourself. yeah just for myself and the investors and the investors <laughs> okay yeah. And it sounds like you're truly disrupting that marketplace. It's something really new and innovative. I haven't heard about this concept yet. Um, and I hope you take it global. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Romania is uh, a look at the market for us as well. We're actually um, aiming more at Eastern Europe than uh, rather than Western Europe. Okay. I mean, it's uh, 
an interesting uh, example or story I have uh, from a few years ago when uh, a German company okay. tried to recruit me as it, it, was a, it was a lending company and they wanted to hire me as the head of data science. Uh, it didn't take off eventually, but uh, they told me an interesting thing about uh, their business. Uh, it, it's a German company, most of the, like the headquarter and most of the employees are in Germany, but they said they don't, they don't do any business in Germany. Most no of the business, business in Yeah, most of the business is in Poland, uh, in the Balkans. Uh, that's where, that's where the. I can say the fin. That's where the fintech revolution or evolution is happening. But uh, it seems that more and more companies are concentrating, uh, focusing more in, on Eastern Europe than. Uh, and uh, old Europe, so to say. Interesting. I am from East Europe and haven't felt that much uh, new stuff going on, in, especially in the fintech. I know some startups like here in Romania, they're trying to innovate and do all kinds of stuff, but uh, it's growing. And, uh, it's, a, it's a new insight that I got. Thank you very much for that. Um, well, let's get back to the topic about uh, leadership. Uh, and let's take it from the top. What would be the biggest leadership success story that uh, you've experienced yourself? No, actually, I switched the order of the questions around a bit. So I would like to actually start with the failures. Ah, you're starting with the failure. Okay, you're brave, brave, brave soul. Okay, let's let's go with the the failure, the success, the <laughs> leadership failure story. So that's, it's uh, more juicier. We want to yeah. hear it first. Yeah, there's uh, <laughs> always more to talk about failures. Uh, they are always more, they have more educational value. I mean, you're not going to learn a lot from success. But yes, success story, it's unique and you cannot really reproduce it. But failures are more common and usually yeah. they're the same. <laughs> exactly. And uh, of course, the best failures are one's own failures. So I'm mainly okay. going to talk about my uh, own failures. And uh, well also because there are many more failures than successes. You can say definitely say that about myself as well. Uh, same here, same here. And this is actually normal. I mean, you, you should, you should even should have more leadership failures than successes, especially early in your career. If someone tells me that uh, they have more success stories than failures, then I can think of three reasons why this is the case. Okay, what are those three reasons? It's either you're an exceptional leader, right at the 99th percentile of leadership <laughs> skill, right up oh. there with Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, meaning that uh, you're already the CEO of some uh, multi-billion euro corporation. I mean, there's no unrecognized and uh, unemployed uh, top leadership talent. Yes. If you're an exceptional leader, then by definition you're recognized. People will just follow you. In the developed world, these people would be CEOs, management positions of uh, high-value companies or 
top politicians perhaps in uh, in third world countries where you have less opportunities uh, for self-fulfillment uh, this top uh, leadership talent could be more found that uh, maybe more criminal activities oh, local yeah. warlords or cartel boat bosses and you can question the moral aspects of it but i believe that staying at the top of a drug cartel takes as much or even more leadership skill as staying on top of apple yeah that's true and i remember like uh, watching a documentary about um like, i think it was like a crime syndicate it was from the new york from new york uh, and they were making like, lots of money in the 90s with uh, a sort of financial scheme involving gasoline and the guy doing doing the interview he ran he created the whole concept the whole business and everything and he basically said there that actually everybody has like the wrong impression about being uh, a mobster and especially a mobster leader you spend most of your time uh trying to avoid conflict and trying to appease everybody and uh keeping the peace and trying to solve everything just with words because if you start killing people right and left, uh, soon nobody's going to want to do business with you. Yeah. So it's it's even soft skills are even more important in the underworld than they are in uh, in regular business. It seems. Yeah, exactly. Can't be more true. Uh. The second reason uh, one might be able to recall more success than uh, success stories than failures uh, is, is that they're just not taking up uh, big enough challenges and uh, sticking to what you know you can handle like this is not bad in itself but uh, it severely limits the potential for self-development yes and the third reason but this is the this is the worst worst one. It's okay. that you're just not self-critical. You're not self-critical enough to recognize your failures as actual failures. And this is uh, probably the biggest and most common failure of leadership overall. Not being self-critical enough. Not recognizing one's failures as actual failures, meaning not learning anything from it. Yeah. It's important to be able to look in the mirror and see yourself as you are and realize like, okay, I did that wrong. I learned this. Next time I'm going to do better. It's important to have the next time I'm going to do better and not just beat on yourself and then never try to tackle some big project or go after a big goal because that's not the idea the idea is for you to be become better as time goes on and learn from all your experience and as you said it we're going to have more bad <laughs> uh, more failures than successes so it's best we learn from them because we're going to progress even faster that way yeah. and do you have a story that ties together all these uh, three points 
Yeah, I'll uh, get back to the original question. So uh, I'm not going to be listing out uh, all of my leadership failures. Uh, and uh, there are many. I guess this in itself is already a bit of a failure that I haven't uh, kept proper track of these uh, and uh, not made, not made uh, proper analysis. But anyway, the, the one thing that I still think about occasionally and uh, try to try to get my head around happened uh, a few years ago in uh, 2017 when uh, back when I was working uh, for my previous employer okay. at uh, Credit Star, I had recruited uh, one person into my team, an analyst. Actually, he was the very first hiring decision that I had ever made in my life. It was, it was my first managerial position. He was my first hire ever. And uh, well, things were fine in the beginning for a few months, uh, but uh, started coming in later and later to work. I'm like 11, 12 o'clock during the day. And like yeah, they came came in around lunchtime and well, still left at five. And uh, also the quality, it, it would have been fine, but uh, if, if he had um, managed to deliver the things he was supposed to deliver on uh, by the deadline, I mean, okay. I, I don't care when a person comes to work or leaves as soon as they get things done, but. Uh, it wasn't the case anymore. His the quality of his work uh, deteriorated, um, and eventually he demanded uh, salary increase and uh, threatened to go to court on uh, on some made-up charges of discrimination. No. Yeah, we ended up firing him. So, so there it was. My my first ever recruitment decision. Was uh, top our work for several months. Eventual conflict. Eventually had to fire him. There was uh, even a settlement settlement with between him and the company. We gave him, I think, something like a three months uh, salary. Oh yeah, it was uh, it was uh, a lot of wasted uh, time and uh, money for the company and my first. Uh, my my first managerial position, my first recruitment ended so, up in complete failure. And looking back, what would you do different? What did you learn from that experience? How would you treat it different if you were back in 2017 and you had to do again the first hiring and had all the knowledge you have now, which is like the dream goal <laughs> to be able I, I to do your life? I wouldn't hire him. You wouldn't I hire, would hire that person. <laughs> I would hire someone else. <laughs> I I still haven't been able to like figure out what what went so wrong. Or were there any red flags in the beginning that I missed? Or it's uh, yeah, I'm still trying to uh, analyze it many years later. But there have been. Uh, many more failures after that as well but 
uh, none of them have been so drastic. Most of these cases where I have, uh, for example, underestimated the complexity of development projects that I like, the ones that uh, I feel motivated about and that seem interesting, right? Yes. I have severely underestimated the effort. Uh, in other cases, uh, overestimated if I uh, don't really like the project. Oh, That's I know all. that feeling. Yeah. There's also cases where I haven't uh, and paid much attention to my team members who seem to have been doing fine on their own, but have actually expected uh, more involvement for me. And then, then the list goes on. Well, but... I, I for sure you learn from it and you're you're becoming better at it uh, as as you're moving forward. Um, yeah, that's so, the goal. Yeah, just from the fact that you didn't have like another experience like your first hire, it means that somewhere in your subconscious you learn how to sniff them out and avoid that situation. Uh, yeah, even consciously, uh, like when I'm uh, doing. Uh, when I'm doing job interviews uh, now, I'm I'm a lot more skeptical about the candidates that, than I, I was back then. Back then, uh, I during my first for my first hires, I focused only on the technical ability of the person. Like I, I tested them thoroughly for their technical uh, competences. Okay, but I. I've learned to put more focus on, uh, as you said, soft skills. To try to uh, ask questions about uh, what was the relationship with their previous manager and uh, try to get them to reveal some uh, unintentional red flags. Yeah. That's important, uh, and it's yeah. something that it's it's fairly missed. Always like, I need most companies, especially in the technical field, they're like, oh, we just have to have the best developer possible, the best technical guy, and yeah, it's something to strive for. But uh, all the technical tests do not tell you about if that person is going to fit into your company culture. And more important is if it's going to fit inside the team that he's going to work with. And that actually drives the productivity of that person because he might be able to do amazing things like at home or for hobbies or he did amazing things for previous employers. But for your company, in your team, if it's not the right fit, uh, he will not to the the work he will not be able to do because he will not enjoy it he will not feel like it's something that he he should be doing yeah. uh, and uh, you can get like a person that's less technical skills but who would fit inside the team and he wants to make the team a success and he will put in the work to better himself and become better at doing the technical stuff so it's not just Technical, technical, technical. It's also uh, important to have the right uh, soft skills and be able to work with people because yeah, you might, you might, you might get the best engineers and developers, uh, but 
they if they end up uh, threatening to sue you and uh, demanding salary increases and you end up firing them then what's the point even if they just bicker all the time about what's the best solution and never nothing gets done <laughs> because of it that's also not good yeah yeah if the, if the people are if they're real technology enthusiasts then this this does tend to happen like trying to trying to achieve perfection in in everything they do but perfection is only for the academia <laughs> in, in the in the business world good enough is well good enough yeah that's true um and then since you shared your like um leadership fail story what would be like a leadership success story that you have my my own uh, personal success story is uh, is with an employee i also had recruited uh, while working for my previous employer okay uh, he was uh, he was the second person that i have ever recruited in my life oh like he, he's he's like a complete success story see you learn so fast like one trial uh, like the worst and the second one was the best yeah well it's i can't say exactly that i learned from the that they were they were good at pretty much the, at the same time so i can't say that i actually learned it was uh, it started out as as pure luck but uh, i i definitely learned uh, a lot from that he started out as uh, as, as just an intern he was like very junior very very young i think he was like 20 or 21 okay when when he started and um but he was very very hard working very uh, motivated um, that that was uh, i think it partially contributed to this conflict with that we had with this other analyst in that uh, he he probably felt threatened by this uh, junior guy coming in being mm-hmm. so so good at his work and uh, getting all the all the like the more challenging tasks and, uh, and getting all the all the recognition but i mean well he, he didn't get I, i tried to recognize both of them but but i mean it's it's just the way it is if, if you have uh, two employees and one of them is uh, doing an exceptional work then they're gonna get recognized more mm-hmm. and um, it's uh, it's very hard to balance this kind of situation so yeah, yeah he was uh, he was uh, an exceptional employee and uh, well eventually the time came for me to leave the previous employer i had uh, received a very attractive uh, offer from my current employer credit info i also felt that uh, i had built up a good team and robust processes and there just wasn't much left for me to do and it was it was only enjoying the fruits of my work uh-huh. i could yeah, like much, yeah, i could i could delegate pretty much everything that had to be done and uh, I could delegate to people 
who were more competent than me at any particular task. So it, it was it was definitely time to move on. And uh, before before announcing my departure to my direct manager, I had a long chat with uh, this uh, this analyst. Uh, by then, he was the most uh, senior analyst in my team, and well, I had a long chat with him, tried to convince him to take up my position when I leave. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Eventually, well, I, I could see that he didn't want me to leave. We uh, we made a really good team. That's good. But uh, eventually, I, I told him half jokingly that, uh, "Look, you have no no choice. I'm leaving anyway, and the only person who can keep things moving in the same positive direction is you." Just I just threw him in the cold water right there. Oh, but uh, and did yeah, you keep in touch with him? Did he manage to take up the mantle, and uh, was he a success in your position? Yeah, I don't regret uh, any of it. He's uh, he's still there. He's doing uh, spectacular work as the yeah. new head of data science. We still keep in touch. We we even published a scientific paper together. So he's um, he's really driving. So that's my own personal uh, leadership success story. That's awesome. And like looking, looking like on the failures and the successes, what would be your leadership philosophy? Uh, well, continuing on the previous topic, uh, I would say recognize when it's time for you to step down and move on. This requires uh, a healthy dose of self-criticism. The world is full of managers who are clinging to their positions for decades and uh, who keep young talent from uh, moving up. It, is, uh, it, it stifles innovation. It makes uh, companies stagnate over time. For example, the, the life that cycle of a fortune 500 company is on average 30 years it's almost a generation 30 years is about the time a middle manager is able to hold on to his position before retiring so when they start around 35 they stick to the same position for 30 years until they retire at 65 this is also the life cycle of, uh, of a fortune 500 company yes and think about how much uh, young talent uh, will have cycled out of the company during that time. Oh, a lot. Yeah, well, they I go to work for younger competitors, they found their own, own companies. The old company with their long-time manager, it just uh, stagnates, dies as talent uh, trickles out. And I would recommend to any company to limit their managerial positions to no more than five years. We have elections, uh, we switch out the old government roughly every five years or so. So why not the same for companies? Awesome, awesome, awesome. idea. 
Actually, yeah. I've, I had the misfortune of knowing a manager who referred, who was so long in the position, he actually said to people that this, this was his house. And he was just a manager inside the company. But nice. he felt, yeah, he felt like, no, he felt like he was going to die in that position. Uh, yeah, actually, there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of managers like this out there. It's uh, it's it's not uncommon. I'm I believe anyone who has uh, who has had a sufficiently long professional career knows at least one manager like this. It's uh, yes. yeah, a good manager should uh, should strive towards the goal of making himself or herself obsolete by building up the team and processes to such a high level that the manager is no longer needed to to keep things running and yeah. and you, you might argue that uh, well what if i'm i'm really good at what i'm doing why should i leave well anyone is uh, going to get really good at something after they have done it uh, for many years but good leadership it's not it's not just about one person about the manager it it also requires a good team and, and you owe it to your team to give someone among them a chance there's always going to be someone who's better at better than you at doing what you're doing right now you also owe it to the company to give them a chance to find that someone who is even better than you at doing what you're doing right now. You owe it to the society to you owe it to the society to yes. spread their skills and knowledge because uh, but that that's how uh, that's how our society advances by people moving from uh, by good, skilled, knowledgeable people moving from one place to another and spreading their skills and knowledge this way. And most, most importantly, you owe it to yourself to give yourself an opportunity to go out there and learn new things. Well, my That's mind is, is blown. Is uh, you're the kind of leader that um, I try to be and uh, I aspire towards. Uh, and uh, the idea is to set up the whole system so everybody can do their work and help them grow. And then um, it's not about the how much time they spend, physical time they spend, do they get their job done or not. Uh, and also making sure, hey, if you're good as a leader and you built the team and you think you did it, it wasn't just luck, you can go to another company, take another position and build another team. Um, if you don't, you're not confident on your skill set, then you're to going to play all kinds of power games and try mm -hmm. to maintain your power and keep your position <laughs> and fight for it uh, like it's life and death. Yeah, I can uh, I can give you my opinion where I think the best leaders actually come from. Or sure. How I believe the best leaders are born. And I think actually 
they come from uh, being being the underdogs, the, the unexpected heroes who pick up the slack when there's nobody else left to pick it up. They're ha hardworking, humble specialists without any managerial ambitions who don't think about becoming a manager, but uh, who are thrown into the leadership roles just due to necessity and, uh, and who then end up acing it. Well, not all of them actually are able to ace it. But the one that's most, most of them actually can't. But uh, the few, the few who who succeed, they they are the real leadership success stories. Yeah. I, I I have one, uh, I have one other personal experience from uh, from that as well. My. Uh, my girlfriend became the head of uh, credit risk at, uh, at Estonia's third biggest bank. Okay, and, uh, that's good. She started out as a, as a, credit, as a credit risk analyst, uh, but uh, her previous manager was uh, let go for various reasons. Uh, and there was just uh, nobody to, to fill the position. Okay. She was, yeah, she was offered. Uh, yeah, she was offered a position. She was uh, very reluctant in the beginning. Even I had to convince her to, to take the opportunity, and uh, I wasn't the only one trying to convince her. Many people convinced her. She went eventually uh, took the position. Uh, she, she still has doubts, like some, sometimes she's saying that uh, uh, when, uh, when I have the chance, then I'll go back to, I'm thinking of going back to the specialist position, but I think she's doing uh, really good at it. And uh, if she persists, then she can be, uh, be the next leadership success story. The, the unexpected hero. Right? rising yeah. up to the challenge and uh, for sure she, she's going to succeed it's like that like the movie rocky <laughs> yes the, uh, hero, the underdog you just have to go through the it's, it's always a little painful actually it's really painful to grow uh, because you have to do new stuff you have to learn new skills it's it's not and if you're willing to grow to go through through that uh, through that pain you're going to become uh, a leader maybe not the greatest leader ever but uh, a decent good leader that people yeah. Yeah. would respect that's, uh, that's all it takes like the world needs uh, more decent leaders yeah, not except sure. not exceptional leaders. I mean, this is statistically the chances of uh, becoming a great leader. It's so low, but uh, a lot much higher percentage of people have the probability to make a decent leader. Like I consider myself as one of those average decent leaders. <laughs> And we need more of you. Yeah. Uh, what would be like the top three leadership tips you have for aspiring leaders? Well, the, the first is uh, 
you need to create the environment uh, for your team that enables them to flourish in if you need to act as the filter that uh, keeps the bullshit so to say from uh, trickling uh, from top to bottom like you have to you have to filter it out you have to keep a productive environment for the team yes second is uh, to leverage uh, whatever strengths you have I can say that uh, I'm not particularly good at anything except uh, maybe picking uh, the best people for my team. And uh, as I told, I, as I told you my failure story, I've, I've learned this the hard way. And I, I consider this the only only thing that I'm actually good at. So I'm leveraging this as much as I can, picking the best people that I can find. And well, I failed with it in the beginning, but uh, other than that, it has um, gone pretty well. I guess the third uh, most, the third suggestion, uh, which is going to be the probably the hardest to implement. Uh, is to seek out the leadership opportunities where people follow you for motivations other than money because money is a very strong motivator and good salary can mask many deficiencies in leadership if you if you build your own company you probably wouldn't want people to work there only for the money and but in um, in many teams uh, that I have encountered, uh, I suspect that money is the main motivator that's keeping the people there. Not good leadership, not uh, a feeling of fulfillment. Or it's it's just money. My own uh, for my own first leadership uh, experience role was uh, actually in the military. So in Estonia, we have uh, conscription. Okay. And, uh, I guess you have that in Romania as well. Uh, we used to have it. Uh, my, my generation was the first one where we didn't have to go and do the army. No, that's... Uh, so I, I escaped by... Uh, <laughs> that's a shame, actually. It's actually a shame. But yes, I actually regret it. I, I thought... Um, for a period, I thought about maybe I should go do like the, the when I was younger, want to do to grow into the army and. Uh, but it's not the same. It's not the same if it's uh, a conscription. is is a very unique institution. It's uh, it, it it's not very um, discriminating in uh, who to take in. It's uh, yeah. it's fairly universal. You. Um, it, it, it's like a cutout of the entire society. When uh, when I was serving my time, I, I got assigned to squad leader training with along with many other 20-year-olds. Uh, and uh, being a squad leader for conscripts, many of whom wouldn't would, would rather be anywhere else than in the military. That's the yes. that, that's that's a unique thing about conscription. 
most people who are conscripted, most men who are conscripted would rather be anywhere else than in the military. And uh, yeah. if you have uh, those kinds of uh, those kinds of people uh, in your team, I mean, they would do anything to avoid hard work. They would fake injuries <laughs> and illness. Uh, they would do the bare minimum, not even the bare minimum that that's required uh, of them. And the kind of people you see in in a conscript army, it's uh, as I said, it, it, it's like a reflection of the entire society. And, yes. and I I had some guys uh, in in my squad who couldn't add up the couldn't add up how many cart- cartridges they would need for three magazines if each magazine okay. contains 35 cartridges so they couldn't add up or, or they couldn't uh, they couldn't tell where is uh, where is south when i pointed them the direction of north they couldn't <laughs> infer the direction of south yeah well yeah. that's a hard leadership position to have yeah well so- somehow i wasn't particularly good at it but uh, somehow well, most of us weren't I guess there were a few uh, exception, well, not exceptional cases, but a few who actually liked it and uh, were fairly capable and who stayed who stayed on in the military. But um, I wasn't particularly good at it, but uh, well, at least I survived. And uh, I think I came back. Uh, I came back as a better person from it. Yeah. I'm still. I'm still a volunteer. Here. I'm still a squad leader in the volunteer Estonian National Guard, but uh, well, not not a very not a very active uh, member. But, uh, but well, hopefully uh, we're not gonna need it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, so my reg- the third the third and uh, most uh, hardest implement suggestion: seek out leadership opportunities where money is not the main motivating factor. Yes, that's important. I've met so many people who told me, I hate my job, I hate my boss, but the pay is so good, I, I cannot afford to lose my job. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and this it's very common. You wouldn't believe how common it is. And uh, it's, uh, it's just masks, bad leadership. If you, if you had... Uh, those kinds of uh, managers in um, in roles where money is not the motivator anymore. That would be, uh, I guess, that would be eye-opening for them of their own uh, abilities and inabilities. It, it yeah. was for me definitely. Like it was very eye-opening experience for me. I guess uh, you can imagine that uh, a young guy straight out of high school uh, think, regards himself quite highly, regards him and his skills uh, quite highly and uh, has ambitions of uh, taking on the world. But uh, a humbling experience like, uh, like I had in the military with my conscript squad, it's... Uh, it's really eye-opening about one's own deficiencies. 
Well, time has that uh, effect, an uh, experience of humbling you. I remember when I was young, I was also like, I'm going to conquer the world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sadly, it doesn't happen for yeah. most people. Uh, since we're talking about uh, experiences that had a profound impact on you, what would be the book that has the most in profound impact on you? Uh, that's a good question. I, I, I'm, I'm never, I, I can't say I've ever had one single book that uh, has had a uh, profound effect on me. I mean, I enjoy reading books, but uh, I guess the, the most profound the experiences or revelations you end up being the ones that you actually live through yes so i will uh, i need to omit this uh, question because uh, <laughs> okay. none of the books have been as eye-opening as, uh, as my own experiences and carl if people want to find out more about you where should they go well i <laughs> I guess the only, the only place I can point people to is my LinkedIn. I, I, I don't have a blog or, blog or anything. I don't, okay. I don't consider myself a good enough writer, I guess. So yeah, LinkedIn. Yeah, I'll put the your LinkedIn uh, account into the show notes so they can uh, reach out to you if they're interested. Yeah. It's been a pleasure, Carl, having you on the show. I've learned a lot of stuff and uh, your stories are amazing. Um, and thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Okay. That was today's episode. Tune in daily. Rate, like, subscribe and share please. Oh, you can find further info and materials in the show notes on techyleadership.com, including links to the guest book recommendations.